hands to the Lord. Father, we thank you tonight for the portal that is open over this assembly and the release of your glory, your presence, your power, all the things that we need to be deposited into us tonight. They come by way of an open heaven. And Lord, even as you open the heavens over your son in Luke chapter three, and you declared over him, my beloved son in thee, whom I am well pleased. We thank you tonight, Lord, that upon us as a collective gathering of believers, that heaven shall activate substance and the voice of the Lord shall proclaim even your pleasure concerning us. We bless and we give you glory for that tonight. And let there come out of this gathering the elevation of saints, that men of various degrees of distinction and dignity come into their season of renown and let notable works be wrought through their hands and let the system of helpers that you've deployed on their behalf those who have spouses and those who do not but let the system of helpers be activated and let there come a centralized focus on you as we behold the things you'll do for us and the things that you will do through us we bless you for that tonight and we give you glory. Come on, let's put our hands together and let's honor the Father. <laughs> Hallelujah. You all can be seated. It's good to be in the house of the Lord and um, to be a part of such a great gathering of people. Um, this year by far has probably been one of the most um, rewarding and uh, um, how can I say, busiest for us um, just within our tenure of ministry, a very short, short time of ministry. And um, it is also a very pivotal year, uh, and this trip is special in particular. Uh, I have my second-born son with me, Joseph Anthony Garner. And um, he is um, an amazing ministry. I named all my sons. We all have the same middle name, Anthony. Uh, yeah, Anthony, which means beyond praise. So we have a Jehovah's increase beyond praise. Stephen, of course, is crowned one beyond praise. We have a Judah praise beyond praise because he needs that. He, he really needs that. Then we have a Joshua. Yahweh um, is salvation or Yahweh saves beyond praise. And then uh, Stephen Jr. as well. So we have um, several crowned ones uh, that have come from my loins. And it is such a blessing because when I first started coming, uh, to the nations, uh, he was about eight years old. Uh, he wasn't even playing the keyboard then. He was, he was a drummer uh, by gifting, and he changed his profession. And um, he just graduated college um, a week ago, this past Saturday. And um, that following Monday, um, a week ago today, we took off and went to the UAE and, and Abu Dhabi and spent a day, and then we came down and kind of hung out and so it's a hallmark moment for me and um, I think really it's the fruit of God's goodness uh, towards a family. Um, all of my children are active in ministry and, um, and then he comes and preaches uh, in a pathway that's already been kind of trailblazed for him. And I told him, I said, well, you need to see yourself doing this um, because I have other things that I need to be doing so at least I can, a garner can still go. And he didn't come alone, he brought his woman with him. Where is she? Where is she? Stand up, 
let, let the sisters see you. Stand up. Stand up, Eritrea. Let the sisters see you. I've been coming to Africa so much, I had to get him an African woman. And uh, my friend, Apostle Norris, made that uh, clear to me. He says, man, you, you've been going to Africa so much, you didn't get, you didn't, you didn't. it's interesting how um, they met, um, and Joseph was sharing this just a few days ago. Uh, I was over here, and he sent me a message, pray for me, daddy, I need a companion. He said, a female. You know, fathers want to hear that from their sons. They, the companionship, they want a female. You know, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> And uh, I went into prayer, and I saw her vividly, and I got so excited. I'm like, ah, she's African. Ish. <laughs> so I communicated her description to him. They had met each other unbeknownst to what was happening spiritually. And um, then I finally met her at a prayer meeting I was ministering at uh, about two years ago um, for Dr. Bill Winston, a powerful meeting, and we met, and I'm like, Joseph, this is who I saw in the vision, and he was like, yeah, you know, we met, and so the rest is history, so, so I'm extremely honored in, in this season to have the two of them with me, and then um, my, uh, my best friend, uh, I also happen to be his only friend, none other than Apostle Norris Johnson um, from Racine, Wisconsin, and um, my first trip to this nation, um, when we met Brother Adam as well, Apostle Johnson was um, a part of the team, and so he's come and he's been ministering. And then he has two of his children, his first and second born, with him, um, Noriel, who is a dancer by profession. That's why she was getting down like that. Uh, she, she got a degree in that stuff from school, but she was born uh, with it. If you know her mom, you'll know where it comes from, so... Uh, and then um, Norris Johnson Jr., a tremendous ministry gift. Um, he's a great preacher, just laden with potential um, as well. But then I discovered over the weekend that actually Noriel is a preacher as well. And she kind of one-upped him, you know, all the call, glory and fire fail. And, you know, we didn't know what to do after that. So, and, um, so it's just a blessing to um, be with him. And then last but certainly not least, uh, Prophet Amzie White um, met him when he was a young man, uh, about 14, uh, extremely confused, uh, but yet in love with Jesus. How many of us some confused saints? And um, I really have to commend him and honor him because he was living in another state, uh, the state of Georgia, which is about how many hours drive from Illinois? Good 12 hours, 10, 12 hour drive. And once a month, he would get in his car and drive to Chicago just to be in a Sunday morning service and turn around and drive back to Georgia. And then the father opened up an opportunity for him to come and uh, relocate to Chicago because he really felt like, I need to be connected to you, Apostle, in a greater way. So we agreed. The door opened, and just like the devil, he interferes with things. And I saw him for almost a 18-month period weather all kinds of intense storms. And we constantly affirmed him, uh, loved on him, uh, he became one of my children, literally, because he was in my pockets, literally. So that's how you know when you're really fathering somebody, when you, you know, there's an exchange of finances, and the only thing you got is an exchange. There's no return as of yet. <laughs> and um, But was really committed to um, his well-being, and he was just recently ordained, um, along with my daughter, as prophets 
in our local church, uh, a tremendous preacher, tremendous ministry gift, and I've seen him just grow, um, taking um, leadership responsibilities in our local house and uh, really pushing heaven's agenda. And so uh, I honor this team that I'm with because I know for myself, and I, I believe I can speak for Apostle Norris as well, that as fathers, it's nothing more uh, joyful than to have your children be a part of what you're doing because um, ministry gifts that have children, um, they become uh, the primary target of satanic forces. And sometimes believers can be so opinionated uh, towards the, uh, let me just say first family within a congregation, but not know sometimes behind the scenes uh, the systematic assaults um, spiritually, things that come against that seed because the Satan does not want what, let's just say, the progenitor carries to go into the future. And so the best way to cut that off is to attack the seed. And um, to have our children, you know, as adults now, my youngest child is 18. Uh, he'll be 19 in August. And then the eldest is older than my wife and I. I'll let you do the math. She's, I don't even know how old she is now. She's old. Uh, she's 29. And, um, and, and, <laughs> And, and to have them all uh, serving and, and, um, and, and loving Jesus. One of my kids is in school to be a doctor and, and the two of them live together and they don't even talk to each other because they just a trip, you know. It's like, well, where's your brother? And I don't know, well, what is he doing? I have no idea. Don't y'all live together? <laughs> so I'm still there kind of officiating, you know, things, but they serve in the ministry, um, they love God and uh, they worship God and have a personal relationship with Jesus and that is extremely rare but it's extremely important. So what I'm gonna be sharing with you, uh, men of honor, is coming from a working personal experience that's actually still in progress because the narrative has not been completed yet. I'm waiting on grandbabies. Once the grandbabies come here, then I'll turn into a cream puff and we can go ahead and write the ending. But until then, we're gonna keep pushing, all right. Okay, so um, familiar scripture, uh, and I'm gonna throw a lot at you, so, and then we're gonna pray um, uh, for all the men who were here and um, we're gonna come back tomorrow and build on this. Uh, but tonight I wanna focus on five primary functions that are consistent with a husband or a father because every man was designed by God um, to become a husband and then to father the future. But some say, well, what about Paul? He had a gift, that was a gift. It was a gift that obviously God put on him. You don't find that Reference to anyone else. That was the gift of celibacy. How many brothers in here got the gift of celibacy? Let me see your hands. Okay, so I'm in the right building then. I'm talking to the right church. Okay, so you, you, don't, you don't have that gift? All right, so this message is for you. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, a very um, familiar scriptures. We all know them, um, and we've committed to uh, recite them uh, from time to time. Uh, but it, it simply reads, and, and what I found about this text is that the book of Genesis in particular is the seedbed for any doctrine that we promote throughout the scriptures. You, there's the apostolic, the prophetic, there's deliverance, there's healing, miracles, signs, wonders, there's marriage, family, uh, generations, whatever it is that you want to, there's finances, there's faith. I mean, all of it's there contextually, and you can just build teachings from there. So the Godhead counsel in verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he, him, male and female 
created he them. Now, very interesting because within this, this, this text, I read a book several years ago by Joseph Matera, and um, he emphasized some things that I thought were extremely important from Genesis chapter one, verse 26, and he highlights some of the mandate initiatives that God has given to man in particular. That first of all, you'll find that man is to represent God in the image, in the likeness of God. That word image is a Hebrew word called selim, and it talks about being a phantom or a shadow of. So in other words, the invisible God expresses himself through his image that he put inside of man, which means that all of the prevailing attributes we know about God should be packaged within the context of man not excluding the woman because the female was also in the image of God. But in, in, as it relates to being in chronological order, man first, and from that dimension called man, female emerged because Adam needed what? A helper. But that of course by no means limits and restricts the function of a female. Uh, because in most churches, if you take the female out the equation, then it's just the Matthew chapter 18 account uh, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. Now, if that went over your head, the Lord bless you. Okay. All right. So, so primarily five things. Man is called to represent God in the context of representing him to his generation, his society, his territorial grid, but especially within his household. That brings honor to God, to represent God, and it's difficult to do that when he's not connected to the image of God. The fall of man, uh, realistically, had his crippling blow because man can still be fruitful, can multiply, subdue, replenish, and exercise dominion that correlates with dominating people because he's disconnected from the image. So he can't represent God properly because God's image, God's representation, God's resemblance is not inside of him. Are you listening to me? So that means that if that's the case, then men of honor are going to be extremely evasive and scarce because the image of the ultimate man is not seen in them. They represent, then they're charged to transcend. When you look at the scriptures, every person God called to do anything that remotely represented something transformational or supernatural, they had to rise above what was happening in their day. Let's look at this prophet called Noah. Noah was given supernatural insight into the mind of God and he got a schematic or a design to build something that the earth had never seen before. And he builds it by the blueprint of heaven and he preaches a message about something that's going to happen that there was no record of ever happening before. He had to rise above what was happening in that realm to tap into the mind of God. And then by the inspiration of God building in the earth, he lived a transcendent life. <laughs> he, had to, he had to transcend. So not only is this, but must, must man transcend, but then there's this thing within the context of man where man is responsible for living by certain ethics. Someone say ethics. ethics. Now, ethics have to do with, with standards, have to do with basically a person's ethics can be seen within their principles, their code of conduct, how they govern themselves, their behavior overall. And when men fail to abide by ethics, what you'll find is a life that's governed by overt dishonor or subtle dishonors because they have no code of conduct. One way you can look at this is however the man goes, that's the way society is going to go. You, you want to trace dysfunctions, 
and the root causes of it, go to that man's house. This tyrant, a global tyrant by the name of Adolf Hitler, was a victim of household abuse from, at the hands of an alcoholic father. And he became a global tyrant full of Satan that, that tried to wipe out an entire group of people because fundamentally, he lived in a society governed by dishonor that started in his household. Interesting, isn't it? So we have this, 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 this stuff with ethics um, that, that I think is extremely important. Then what, what you're gonna have is, 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 is sanctions. For, for every man that violates the basic tenets of his existence, you'll see in certain areas of his life where the systems of the world will impose sanctions upon him. Doesn't make a difference how wealthy he is. Doesn't make a difference how high he climbs a mountain. It doesn't make a difference the things that he conquers. There will be certain areas in his life that are pivotal to his calling and assignment where sanctions will be imposed upon him. Let's take, for instance, like this thing that's coming out with this uh, amazing creature uh, over in the West. He happens to be the, the leader of the free world. His name is Donald Trump, an extremely wealthy man, generational wealth. But now in a moment where he really should be asserting himself as this global figure that can represent, transcend, that is living by ethics and all this, you, can, you see systematically there are things being declared to impose sanctions upon him because of indiscretions that are operating in what? His soul. <laughs> if we're gonna become a people of honor and really walk in a degree where the weighty presence of God comes upon us and then God's splendor and, and, and majesty is seen uh, exuding from us, then there must be a reckoning with areas that are outside of the image and likeness of God because that's where the resources flow to sustain us and to keep us in a place of honor. And then there's a thing called stipulations. It's, it's, it's interesting because God will put sanctions on us, but then there are divine ramifications or stipulations that God will put on others that violate who we are, that violate our calling and assignment. That's why, it's, you know, we, we live in a season that's so governed by dishonor, people have no problem saying things about a man of God. You know, because, because now all of us are put in the same group with others who may be living lives that are violating the policies and the protocols of God, but yet you can't just package us all in, in, into the same category. And what God would do is begin to activate stipulations on those who practice this thing called dishonor. So that's, that's it in a, in a very uh, simple form. We can go on and on with that, but then there's five primary roles that every man has been created by God to fulfill. The first one is that man himself is to operate as a king, not a tyrant, a king. And one of the, one of the visible signs that a king is, 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 let me say it this way, a legitimate, that his throne is legitimate, is the welfare of his citizens. The Bible says the throne of a king is established in righteousness, and therefore is an abomination for him to commit wickedness. And if man is in the image and likeness of God, God has activated his kingship over kingdom. That means that man himself should be operating in a kingly dimension. And so what, what happens is, is that when we don't understand honor, 
and how honor operates and what honor has been ascribed by God to do, there sometimes will be an abdicating of our throne and we'll subject ourselves for temporary pleasures. And no one's exempt from them. Because the higher you go in God, the greater the temptations you're going to have to deal with. Remember Jesus, when Jesus was on that 40-day fast afterwards, he was led by the Spirit of God to be tempted of the devil. And Satan appealed to him threefold. He tells Jesus, you know you hungry, command these stones to be turned to bread. Men of honor must learn how to subject their appetites to God. Most of the men you read about in the scriptures that transgressed, they had appetites that were out of control. And I'm not talking about just sitting down eating twisted sisters and fat cakes. Appetites. Jesus conquered the issue of appetites because temptation is designed to make you look another way. I have the wife of my youth, but something is off in my appetite, so now I'm looking another way. And then, then Satan takes Jesus to a mountain and tells him, jump, for it's written. See, when brothers don't give themselves the doctrine, you, you, you will do things that violate laws that are set in the earth. There are laws that are set in the earth that are not to be violated. There's a law called gravity. You don't, you don't need no prophetic word that you know what goes up must come down. <laughs> and it was scripture twisted to fit a narrative that was designed for Jesus' destruction. Just because folk are preaching the scriptures does not mean that they actually align with the author of that word. If your motivation for it is not compliant with Christ, then it's twisted. And eventually, it becomes suicidal for you. So that's another one. And then the third one was, now you got to get this one and watch it closely. Satan takes Jesus to this pinnacle and shows him all the glory of the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus didn't rise up and rebuke him. Come out, the blood is against you and the devil is a liar. He didn't do that. No, he, he simply told him, you want my worship, my obedience. It is not designed for you, it's designed for the Father only. And he's the only one that I'm going to worship. If we're going to develop systematic honor and be able to transfer and impart it to generations that come from our loins, both naturally and spiritually as men, and create a culture of honor, you need to make sure that your worship is ascribed to Christ and Christ alone, because this correlates with obedience. The first reference to worship in the Bible had nothing to do with a song. It had to do with a man and the seed that had come from his loins, which was also a part of the promise and the progression of a plan that God had ordained. And it was in that moment that worship correlated with obedience that would yield a sacrifice. Okay. So while we're building worship teams, we better make sure that these worship worshipers are obedient. Okay. So those are the three areas of, 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 of temptation. So this this the kingly dimension of a man. And then there's a priestly dimension. It's the second function, the priestly dimension. And priests primarily were responsible for two things. In the context of dealing with, you know, the civil affairs, the laws and all that, they were to make sure that they brought the vested interests of God to the people. 
Whatever God wanted, they were responsible, they were conduits to get his statutes, his commandments, the order for the sacrifice, all of the different uh, ordinances and laws that God laid out. Priests were conduits, they were the ones to execute that. And then they were also charged with taking the needs of the people before God. So they brought God to the people and they brought the people to God. Within a household, within a community, within a, with, with, with just within a territorial grid, when men refuse to become a nexus, a connecting point. Now, what God wants to get to a family, to a group of youngsters, because he's out of place, a counterfeit can rise up or a void can emerge, and now a generation can have desperate needs all because this thing called the workmanship or the handiwork of God has abdicated his position as a priest. It's important. You think about, I, I remember when my daughter um, was going through her um, transformation, and she started having her cycle. She was about 10 years old, and um, she freaked out. She didn't go to her mama, she came to me. I'm like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> She's like, no, daddy, you got to help me. And then from 10 years old till about 18 or 19, every time her cycle would come, she would run to me. I had to hug her. I had to caress her, kiss her on the forehead, and then she'd go, and the next six days would be chaos. And she, <laughs> I'm just saying, this, you know, she didn't go to mommy. She came to daddy. It's like, okay, because you, like, I know everything. I don't know that. <laughs> they didn't teach me that. But in her mind, it's like, okay, well, I need to be consoled, so I'm going to my daddy. And even to this day, there's more manipulation now, but it don't work, so. Um, <laughs> and so when men don't understand that, sometimes men will turn around and sexually violate their children because they don't understand their role as priests. Priests were the defenders of God's sanctuary. There's a man named Phinehas who rose up and thrust the Israelite and this Midianite woman through in Numbers chapter 25 and stopped the plague. And when men don't understand what they're supposed to do, they become proponents of hell versus advocates of righteousness. We're talking about honor. So the king, a priest, men are also to function as prophets to their families, to their community, and not just, yea, I hear the Lord say. Prophets had a role in helping to build. Sharing the counsel of God, proclaiming the wisdom of God, not just um, your cell phone number, double zero, seven 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 ninety three eleven. I want to take you home with me tonight. You know, that's a song in the stakes, don't you know? It's seven 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 ninety three eleven. So, you know, because that's the goal. Yeah, and then you have folk, you know, people who don't know God. They've not been exposed to a true king, a true priest. Now they get seduced by a false prophet. Because the man is not in God's image, so he can't represent him. He can't represent him. So now it's his vested interest that he brings. This, this helps to strengthen the prevailing culture of dishonor. Now this is not even my message. This is my introduction. I'm almost there. We're going to talk about honor tonight. So you get the king, you got the priest, you have the prophet. Men are also charged with the task of teaching. Every functional man with a family, without a family, should give himself to learning so he can become one who can uh, disseminate doctrine, uh, establish teaching, because primarily teaching, when Jesus charged us to go into all the world and teach, 
That word teach actually gives the, the connotation of to go connect to people and make them one with me in my behavior, but also in my doctrine. Because doctrine without behavior that's connected to Christ is eventually going to become something that's known as diabolical. That's where your David Koresh's and Jim Jones and other cult leaders arise. You all are looking at me real intense. I love you too. I really do. The kingly dimension, the priestly dimension, the prophet's dimension, the teaching dimension. And then the fifth one is an intercessor. It's something about praying. I remember being awakened, oh, so many nights. When the boys first started going off to school, Daddy, can you pray for me? This going on, that going on, and then getting unctions over the course of the day, knowing that some of them had started moving in a direction they shouldn't go, and you can't shake the burden, and, you know, I, I, I need to pray because I need to find out because I know that they, they cover each other. They, they were doing from little bitty kids. They would cover each other. Who did this? I don't know. I'm beating everybody up. That's how we're going to do that. Somebody going to talk. Well, all y'all going down. <laughs> I'm not having no sidebar conversations. We're going to hit this right now. I'm not raising liars. I ain't raising because if you lie, you'll steal. And if you steal, you'll kill. So we're going to cut this off right. That's the nature of the devil. Well, Stephen, do you have to be so hard? Woman, don't you raise your voice at me in my house. <laughs> One of my favorite lines. <laughs> Loose yourself. You have dominion over things that creep, <laughs> over things that crawl. <laughs> and, and, and so I, I would pray for these guys, and God would drop certain words in me, praying for my wife. Certain things would come, and, and her response was always, how you know? How you know? I said, woman, I know you better than you know yourself. God ain't showed you that. I said, okay, keep on resisting this grace. <laughs> and um, I, over the years, I mean, you, you developed this. I, I remember dreaming. I had the exact same dream for about two years concerning my daughter. And finally, when I shared it with someone who was prophetic, they broke it down, but not to the degree in which it, would really, it, it was exposing what needed to be exposed, but the interpretation, because it was a burden. I mean, to the point where I would literally get up in the middle of the night, and I was going to check a certain part of my house. Very interesting. It was a garage. We had a detached garage at that time, and in the dream, someone kept breaking into my garage. I would wake up fuming mad. And then we had these crazy dogs, these Japanese cicadas, and um, they'd bark and shake the back of the house, but they would never bark. They would never make a sound. And I said, God, what is this? Because, you know, Smokey would always bark. You remember Smokey? <laughs> he would always bark. I mean, he would sound the alarm, UPS guy, postman. They wouldn't come nowhere near the house. And these were my neighbor's dogs. He was just territory. He went around, spray all on our fence and all that. Like, I run this over here, too. <laughs> and, um, and finally, I got the interpretation about what the dream was about, and it took about a two-year process to enact a plan of redemption to deal with some things that were seeking to violate my future through my child. But God was faithful because I was responding naturally to something that was spiritual, 
Because God knew that if I show it to you naturally, you're going to get in your flesh and manifest. So, and it kept coming, kept coming to mind. I didn't get an interpretation. And finally it came and I was able to, to, to function as a legitimate source versus an advocate of evil. Because, you know, sometimes your kids can bring out the worst in you and they can bring out the best in you. Any real parents in here know what I'm talking about? As a matter of fact, you didn't got to be no parent. Just think about some of the stuff you did to your parent. That should settle the matter. <laughs> so intercession is important. Those five areas. Now, I want to, for the next few moments, some of the people who we are to honor. And then we're going to talk about some of the ways we can honor God. And um, then we're going to look at um, how we dishonor God because we, we want to create a culture of honor. So let me, let's run through some verses. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So in the context of developing a culture of honor, we ought to honor our parents. People who don't honor their natural parents can definitely not honor people spiritually. It's going to be difficult. It's, it's because Satan will always exploit that area, especially in a man. When you're looking at another man who may be younger than you in years and you have a disconnect from your natural biological father because of an issue, or you will become a source for Satan to traffic in and out of that ministry. It's just, it's just a reality. Because there's an absence of honoring of your natural father. Now, in the book of Ephesians, it talks about children. Obey your parents in the Lord. And, 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 for, and honor them for this is right that it might be well with thee that thy days on the earth may be long. Actually that verse talks about that your time on the planet would be governed by righteousness. Yeah, very interesting. And so when you, when you think about honoring uh, your parents now in the book of Proverbs, a very interesting verse, I think around in chapter 30 somewhere in there, it talks about there's a generation that does not, uh, uh, that does not honor but they, they, they won't bless their mother. They curse their father. And then Solomon describes them as having teeth that were like knives and teeth that were like fangs. And they were devouring and, and all kinds of interests. They were lofty. Their eyelids were lifted up. They were puffed up with pride. All because of this issue of honor. And for me, and if we're going to create, uh, and uh, let me say, establish both context and then supply content for honor, we've got to practice with natural things. Don't come into a local church trying to be spiritual. Suzuki, Suzuki, Idibo, Mahande, Kickstart, Mahayande, Jumpstart, Machana Truck, Yebo, Iba, Iba, all that, whatever, Yebo, Indiani, and whatever, all this stuff that we be on. <laughs> As religious. To build a formidable connection to another man because I see value in you. Value is a word that correlates with honor. When you don't see value in people, you will not demonstrate the degree of appreciation that's needed. You have to realize even when you know that a person is valuable and something can disrupt the flow of the value you're called to demonstrate, it's a prevailing issue of dishonor. But it could be because that man's soul has been breached and he needs healing. So honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Then in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 32, it says, Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head, and honor the face of the old man, and fear thy God, I am the Lord. In other words, there's a demographic in the body of Christ 
geriatrics. Some of us are there, some of us are fast approaching it. <laughs> Don't laugh at me, Pastor. <laughs> We're to honor them. There's a spirit, especially in America, that's driving youth and young people to totally discredit those that have gone before them. To have them to operate as if everything that was done prior to their coming in existence was done in error. And they are the ones that are called to set the pace. But that's a violation of kingdom protocol because the kingdom is from generation to generation. If we can't honor those that have gone before us, what, what happens is it, it correlates with uh, a, a demon spirit called irreverence. And we cannot fear God properly, which translates in revering him where we have utmost respect for other people when the fear of the Lord is missing. Very interesting. Then Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, we will honor the Lord with our substance and with the first fruits of all our increase. This is a way that honoring the scriptures, we can, we can develop a personal culture of honor that will always provoke God's glory and that will always activate his majesty. Honor. Because sometimes people take the scriptures and they try to build these elaborate paradigms of thought where you can't even develop anything practical that you can apply to your personal life. You gotta go get an engineering degree to, to, to simulate it into some of that stuff. If God wanted you to be an engineer, then he'd have gave you the mind of an engineer. I don't need that in church. I need something that can help me deal with my day-to-day -day life on a very practical level. I'm full of the spirit of God. I got all of this technical terminology for, for spiritual things and I can't get along with my wife. I got unforgiveness in me towards my brother in the Lord. Because he didn't greet me on the first Sunday. Now, I don't mind him not greeting me on the second Sunday, but it's the first Sunday I must be greeted properly. <laughs> all that confusion. So, to honor the Lord with our substance, with the first fruits of all our increase. And men of honor, I remember I was sharing this uh, in Swaziland when, we, when, when my wife and I got married. Uh, we were living in an apartment, and our daughter was around, and then, and then our. Um, Son, son, firstborn son and was, was coming and um, we agreed that we were going to get a house. So we were in a meeting and there was a man of God from Wari, Nigeria, um, Pastor Ayo Arista J4. We were saving money and back in those days $200 was a big offering when you're trying to save money and you're putting your finances together, you're used to living, you know, independent, you're going through the first five years of marriage and you're experiencing hell, you come to church smelling like sulfur, you know, like you've been down in the underworld and you sins and you got smoke coming all at you when you walk in there. Hey, I mean, I'm just being honest with you. We would fight, our worst fights would be on our way to church. Then we get into church, praise the Lord, hallelujah, how you doing? <laughs> doing a praise break, look at each other, I'm not done with you yet, go back, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> it's the truth. It's just the truth. We would sit in counseling sessions and counselors would tell us, eh, we can't help you. Yeah, we had that happen to us. Yeah, we'd get to fight right in the counseling session. Folk had to break us up, better get her. I fight women, I'm telling you. I mean, just crazy angry. You, you can look at me like that, you know, but you got your little closet stuff going on. My closet has been demolished, so it's all out there, brother. We're talking about 20, 23 years later, of uh, 24 years later of marriage, and Jesus, we've been together since 1986. It's a long time. Yeah. Yeah, so we done worked some stuff out. Joseph will tell you his mama's a trip, and he's just like her. <laughs> He'll tell you that. He tells me that. Yeah, I'm like my mama. 
So whatever, brother, you know. <laughs> so we, 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 we sowed this seed. We were honoring God, and we were honoring that ministry gift because we believed that God was in it. What it did, it unlocked our down payment. We didn't have it. It unlocked our down payment. We didn't have it. Someone sold it. Yeah, just called. The Lord put you on my heart. Boom. All within like a 24-hour time frame. Yeah. Powerful. So we've not needed any help for down payment since then, you know. You can't honor him with your increase and not be increased. Okay. Because men, men, men struggle when it comes to giving. You know, even when, when, when our finances were challenged, I told my wife, I said, you know, this is a non-negotiable. And every man needs a set of non-negotiables. What are the things in your life that you will not negotiate with? If you don't have a list of them, you need to develop one because they will help you stay true to developing a personal culture of honor. Like, I'm not cheating on my wife. That's a non-negotiable. I don't care what she smell like, what she look like, how she talk, it's not happening. As a matter of fact, I'm too old for that now anyway. And let me help you. The sisters is in here, but let me help you. And you ain't getting about 60 seconds out of it, and it's over. Can y'all handle that? Then you'll be somewhere bound up, condemned, throwing up demons for the next six months, needing help and all that. It ain't worth it, man. Count the cost. Yeah, save them 60 seconds for your wife, and the Lord is faithful. He'll give you a few more minutes connected to it, and you'll be all right. Yeah. You got to have some non-negotiables. Yeah, part of my, one of my mandates as an apostle is to offend people. I'm anointed for that. First, First Timothy 5 and 3, honor widows that are widows indeed. That's important because sometimes in a local church we forget that demographic. With pure religion undefiled is that we visit the orphans and the widows. Honoring widows is important. That touches the heart of God. Because when, if, a, if, a, if a, a woman's husband dies, then men of honor should be able to rise up and not necessarily replace her husband, but create that culture of security. She's in that local church and she knows, I don't have to worry about the beast of the wild, the wild beast of the field coming to devour me and my family. Yeah. That a brother can come and cut her grass and not try to, yeah, yeah, can, can work on a car and, you know, not charge her and say, well, you can't pay me in rands. I got another idea. <laughs> no, we're going to pay you in Monopoly money. And after you exhaust your Monopoly money, you're going to get a card that says go to jail and you never get out. <laughs> Okay, 1 Timothy 5, 17, that the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So men of God, we need to honor those who are giving themselves. All of us should do it, but yet there are certain things that earmark leaders, especially the commitment to the word and doctrine. You get around people, it's like folk want to complain, like Apostle Norris and myself, the relationship we built is formidable. I mean, we've been friends since like 1997 or somewhere in there, 96. It's been a long time. And um, our seasons of agony, men have them. You want brothers in your life that when you sound off, they're not just a sounding board. You got something coming back at you to remind you of who you are, whose you are, what you need to be doing 
to stay consistent in honoring God. And sometimes when you're a fighter, you know, your response to things that are challenging, you want to fight. And sometimes you need folk in your life to tell you, just calm down. Just relax. Jesus got this one. But what, what, you can tell when men, when men want to do something that they shouldn't be doing, they isolate themselves. Yeah, they go into isolation mode. Well, brother, you were so faithful coming to the men's meeting. What happened? Well, I had to take another job. Yeah, well, where, where, where is it? Uh, and then they start speaking in tongue. So, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 1. Let as, many as, uh, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Now, in the context of serving, systems that you're connected to, people who have authority over you. Of course, this is giving uh, credence to individuals because the believers were, some believers were getting converted into, into the kingdom and they were still indentured servants, historically. And so Paul was laying a foundation for honor, that just because you're a believer and now you're free in Christ, but yet you still have a legal contract that you are connected to and your indentured state is not over for a certain period of time, you are still to honor that individual because honor always unlocks favor. Honor will unlock blessings. Like think about Joseph. Joseph was in prison and Joseph was serving in that prison. His time had not yet come, but he practiced this principle of honor. He didn't stop interpreting dreams. He was compliant. He was raised up to be like one of the chief guys in there. 12 years he was in captivity. And his day of promotion came because he built the personal culture of honor. Some of you may be in your season of Joseph, confined to a, to a prison cell, emotionally, financially. But don't stop honoring. Don't stop practicing respecting and uh, doing the things that will hold others in esteem that will bring pleasure to God because you're part of a supernatural kingdom. Your physical body may be going through the motions, but you still have a spirit within you. And Job 32 verse 8 says that there's a spirit in man and the inspiration of the Almighty will give him an understanding. And sometimes we lack understanding for our seasons because we won't let the spirit of God inspire us, especially to honor. Now, here's another one. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, it says, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. What we're seeing in America is a movement, especially among this demographic of millennials, where they're not honoring anybody but themselves. And then you have uh, the, the, let's just say, the Gen Xers who have influence, who won't challenge this thing because people, most of the time, folk who preach on subjects like honor and really hammer it, as, a, as, as doctrine to really drive it in the lives of people, you will find within their personal relationships they're extremely dishonorable. Anytime you have folk with pet peeve doctrines, it's an indication that they got a demon working in them that's making them violated. Think about this one preacher, Jimmy Swaggart from America. He would bash these solid gold dancers, and lo and behold, I'm talking about like every week, and he was messing around with prostitutes. We had another guy. He just passed away recently, no discredit to the things he's done. He was known for, watch this, watch this, watch this. And then some indiscretions came out dealing with homosexuality. But he was a public advocate of attacking that. Don't, because out of the abundance of our heart, our mouths are gonna speak, and whatever's prevailing in you, you're gonna find yourself constantly attacking it in people 
or just being very indifferent towards it. Sometimes God will give you a charge to address something, but it won't be a pet peeve. Yeah, it won't. This is, this is, one of, this is a parameter you can, you can use or a gauge to determine whether you're in some type of indiscretion or whether you're really operating in honor. Are you listening to me? Okay, now, here, 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 so we're to honor all men. Don't, don't, don't have a preferred uh, a group of people that you honor and then the other folk, they're second class citizens. Yeah, you know, the folk that are not a part of your, you know, network or alliance or that don't relate to you, you, you still honor all men. All men. Sometimes we're locked out of promotion because we don't honor people. And here's, here's another one. First uh, Peter 3 and 7. Likewise, ye husbands dwell with them according to the knowledge, to knowledge giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Now, this is not about your wife just being weak and impotent and can't do anything. It's simply God placed the woman in the care of man, and man is to be like when, you, when a woman gets married, she's under the care of her father. During a marital ceremony, after the marriage you know, ceremony and everything is done, her name changes. And she gets the name of her husband, who has a very delicate role because he's to continue what her father did as her primary caretaker, and he's to do so without actually lording over her and exercising authority, perhaps maybe like her father had, but he's to become now her lover, her confidant, her partner, and everything else she needs to fulfill who she is. And sometimes marriage can be a very, if a woman has not been taught that she's been void of having a man in her life and a culture of honor, then the marriage is going to go through some very challenging stuff. But with God, it can happen. So when, when the man understands that he is the one to initiate honor, eventually things will settle. Eventually things will settle. So he says, he says, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the weaker vessel, to the wife as a weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Look at this, that your prayers be not hindered. Yeah, that your prayers be not hindered. Yeah. Here's another one. Ephesians 5.33, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife and, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now, this is challenging for some sisters. You mean, what do you mean reverence him? He ain't no reverend. <laughs> you know what he, how he talks to me, what he does to me? Because what, what we do, we let the behavior and indiscretions of others make us violate protocols and principles given unto us, which means that we actually don't have them. Yeah, you know, like, Someone can stir you up and make you use profane speech is because profane speech is in you. They just help provide opportunity for who, for who you are to really surface. Okay, all right. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 23. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our comely parts have more abundant comeliness. This is important because sometimes a deacon, an usher, a greeter, you know, you're not an apostle, you're not a doctor, you're not a left reverend or right reverend, you're not an archbishop, an archbishop deluxe, you're not, you know, <laughs> you don't have those titles like that to that degree. We don't want to honor them. Oh, that's just so-and-so. 
But we really do need to seek out ways to bless people and really honor them. Here's, here's another one, and I'm going to wrap this up because I have quite a few. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 29 through 30, Paul is talking about a man named Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus at one point had a fever and was sick unto death. Paul was incarcerated in, in Philippi and needed an offering, food and other things. Epaphroditus took it. He took it. He took, the, he took the offering to him. He blessed him in prison. I think he was in Philippi or maybe somewhere, but he was in prison. And this man was sick unto death. Most of us on a normal day, let's be honest, for brothers, if this, who was just here when we came last week, the big soccer match? Barcelona. How many of you, if we were giving out tickets to that, you would have went? Y'all not in the box? Let me see your hands. I'm saying, okay, so y'all know, so, so you got three guys in here that like soccer. Just three. Just three. Just three of them. Just three of them. Let me, let me give you, let me give you an opportunity to redeem yourself. We were giving away tickets to go to that soccer match last week. How many of you brothers would have taken the tickets and went? Okay. We provide free transport to church on Sunday. <laughs> After the night of you painting the town, how many of you would have taken advantage of that? Yeah, because if you didn't want to play games with my accent, now I rebuke you. That ain't get lost in translation. You understood that well. <laughs> okay, so because, because there's a tendency to yield, surrender, and sacrifice for the things that we hold in high regard. So Epaphroditus was a man that Paul says, I want you to hold this man in such a reputation because he's a standard for the body. He is one who is willing to go the lengths and push physical limitations because he's committed to servicing a culture of honor. The excuses we make, oh, it rained, uh, pasta, pasta, it rained. There's a small leak in the bedroom. And my wife is giving me a hissy fit. So I will not be able to make it to service this week, nor the week after, nor the week after that. Please understand, Pastor. Yeah, yeah. As soon as you get through telling that lie, one of your buddies call, hey, bro. <laughs> Let's go, and I got some, you know, passes, and we can hit 18 holes today. Sure, bro, I'm coming, yeah. See? Yeah, just no honor. Just, yeah. Yeah, because we don't, we don't you know, we don't hold things in, in the proper priority. Now, time is getting the best of us. I want you to, if you're taking notes, capture this Isaiah 43, verses 18 through 25. And it's emphasizing in these verses how we dishonor God. Some of the things like, like, like for instance, in, in verse number um, uh, 20, it talks about, uh, the beast of the field shall honor me, the dragons in the isles, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people have I, have I formed myself. They shall show forth my praise. But thou hast not called on me, O Jacob, but thou hast been weary of me. So one of the ways we dishonor God as men is by not calling on him. That means you got to build your personal altar. And you got to build your, your personal time of devotion, and God must become your priority. Every man needs a personal altar, because you can't be a priest without an altar. I'm not talking about a physical, literal altar. Our local church has an altar. It's called the epicenter of glory. And we challenge the saints, service your altar on a regular basis. Sometimes in the house of the Lord, 
when it comes down to dealing with men, men are task oriented, you give me something to do, then I have no problem. But you challenge me to build a life of devotion, then I get lost in translation. And that's important because so goes the man, so goes society. And if the man is not practicing calling on God, I mean, your children need to hear you pray. I remember one time, one of my boys was doing something he had no business doing, and I'm praying, and then I'm like, God, you gotta show me because I know he on the summit. I need to tune into these devils and deal with them. So I call this guy, Daddy, I don't know nothing. I ain't did nothing. Because I know they have a history of covering each other. But for some reason, I believed him that time. So I'm praying. And then I set my eyes on the tablet on my desk in my office. And the tablet was on. And it just went right to like the instant, you know, messages. And I see a history of text messages. I said, oh. And in one of the texts, while I was praying that day, the younger son, who's on another floor in the house, is texting his brother. And he's laughing. He said, Daddy downstairs praying right now, boy, and he done tuned into your devils. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Yes. They, they, they work those kind of kids. He just did a periscope. He was praying for children, and he lit in on your devils. I said, wow. So I called the kid, the, the, the perpetrator. Hey, son, how you doing? Oh, daddy, I'm good. Everything's fine. I said, you sure? Yeah, no problems here. I said, okay. I said, could there remotely be something you need to be talking to me about? Um, I can't think of anything now, but if something comes up, yeah, I, I'll, I'll let you know. Okay. Okay, because now, because I'm, I'm in, I know when stuff like that happens, I got to go into quarantine <laughs> to bring all the carnality and all the other stuff down, get it, get it taken care of. Yeah, you done prayed, God and showed you, now you want to manifest. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, so I see him at church, and I step to him, I say, hey, bro, I'm going to go South African on you. You sure you don't need to be talking to me about nothing, because I needed to talk to you. Uh, yeah, you know, it is a few things, but I was just going to wait till you know, after service. I didn't want to bother you before you get ready to preach. You come in and interfere with my flow every Sunday. So this Sunday, you don't want to interfere with it? Okay. 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 And preach. Did what I had to do. And then he halfway tells the story. So then I make him aware of this tablet that was mine that he synchronized his cell phone with. And then I had some history of text messages. And I, see, wasn't nothing spiritual about that. God just said, look, just check the iPad, man. I'm gonna, you can come on out of tongues and quit agonizing in prayer. I got an iPad for you. So I get it. And, 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 but it was me calling on God that even anything in my office that had not even noticed it. And it was there. And, you know, those, those next-generation iPads hold a battery life for, like, weeks. And I had history. So I'm looking at the texts, and I'm getting stirred up as I'm reading the text messages. <laughs> but it was out of that place of calling on God that I could remain honorable to God even in the correction of my son. Because, like, the last episode I had with him, I normally would protect him from my wife. and like, look, nope, you're not going to be able to talk to them like that because she'd be wanting to go straight shay-shay on them. 
Like, like, like my youngest son, I was out of town one time and she lit in on him and he called, he, they called Apostle Norris Uncle Norris. So he called like, Apostle, I need you to pray for me because mama texted me in all caps. <laughs> that's what he, that's what he, <laughs> that's what he know that, you know, she, it's, it's another realm you got to deal with. So he's looking for shelter in a man. I can't get to my daddy. Let me, let me, let me contact my uncle. And so he gave him some wisdom. I don't know how the story ended, but he gave him some wisdom. So we broke through and I was able to share wisdom with him, challenge him about things that were uh, in our bloodline that you just can't afford to get involved in, brother. It's gonna, you're going to open up some stuff and I'm telling you right now, you go down that trail, you are on your own. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah, you want to you get out there and do stuff you haven't been doing, you're on your own. Go on and get that testimony. Jesus loves you. So do I, but I ain't going with you. So not calling on him by, by not, by not uh, laboring um, for him, by not sacrificing uh, for him on his behalf. These are eight ways we dishonor God, by not giving him offerings. Uh, sometimes by not offering him our lives. You know, like when you're going through, especially relationship woes, you can just go somewhere and stretch out. I, I, I've got plenty of episodes. I laid her on my floor and cried a puddle of tears. It was going to be that. Or Hulk Hogan, or, or the incredible Hulk, the green dude was going to manifest, tear up the whole house. And then when he wakes up and comes to himself, he done made a bigger mess. Because of this prevailing spirit that wants to create a culture of dishonor in our homes. Because we don't deal with our anger. We don't deal with our rejection. We don't deal with our rebellion or pride or lust or perversion or hidden agendas. We want to be spiritual and exercise our authority to get things done, demand things, but then we won't humble ourselves to become that broken man that our families need. Are you listening to me, men of honor? This is important because one, like uh, even on this trip, my wife and the youngest, I, didn't, I wasn't gone 72 hours. I'm getting the capital letter Texas about him. So he FaceTimes his brother. And it's interesting because the same thing I told him, my son tells him. So the two witnesses, the word was established. And then I said, look, man, go apologize to your mother. These are the sanctions that have been put on you. Abide ye by them. That settled it. I didn't have to send him texting all caps. The right spirit was behind it. I left it. There's nothing I could do. Are y'all listening to me? So you, you, you can create such a precedence in the lives of your children, those connected to you, your spouse. You know, I got, I got to calm my wife down because she go from zero to 60 when it comes down to them because you ain't going to take advantage of me because she constantly tells me, no, he's just like you. So it's like now I got a repeat of a younger version of you. I'm not going through this no more. I don't blame her. I do not blame her. I wouldn't go through it either. <laughs> okay, so how do we honor God? And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wind this up because my, my clock says 1.52 p.m. 1.52 p.m. And I feel y'all checking out on me. Some of y'all checked out on me the moment I start talking. That's okay. But I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm honored that you're here. And it really shows the capacity in our amazing host, Prophet Oral Claussen, to gather these men. Because we're just laying a foundation because it's, it's dangerous to preach stuff and you don't give brothers scripture. 
You don't give them any word because you can go you can go meditate on these scriptures yourself. Now, here, here's some ways we can honor God. I'm going to give you these very quickly. The 12 points I have to be apostolic in my closing. OK, so we can honor him by asking for his leadership and making him our priority. God, I need you to help me lead. And God knows that that's why he commands us to love and he knows that we can't love like he wants us to love apart from him working in us. So what does he do? He gives us his spirit and then Holy Spirit can love through us. Anybody have asked God to help you love folks? Yeah. I mean, especially when people hurt. It ain't, it ain't no problem to love folk that love you. I'm talking about the ones you know they don't care for you. Yeah. Like people leave your church and in the new church they go to is the best church on the planet. I'm talking to leaders now. And they throwing all kind of shots at you because this new place is just so great. But everything that they've learned to get them to where they at, they got it from you. Now you got to subdue your pride demons and you just have to humble yourself and just bless them anyway. I know y'all don't experience that over here because the South Africans know how to love, brother. I mean, they know how to honor. You know, I'm talking all this elementary stuff to y'all and... You know, brother, we are in the stratosphere of honor. <laughs> right. <laughs> Number two, we are to labor and give ourselves to the work of the Lord. That's how we create a culture of honor. Number three, sacrifice our time, resources, and gifts in order to increase his house and advance his kingdom. That's the way we can honor him. Number four, systematic giving in compliance with scriptures. Our finances represent our labor, and giving helps to exact our labor and activate the rewards thereof. Number five, presenting him our bodies and purposing to live in accordance to the scriptures epitomizes honoring God. Number six, aligning our lives with values that transcend family and societal strongholds contrary to the, contrary to the word of God. There are things that we are experiencing that are contrary to God's word. We got to transcend. Here's, a, here's another one. By living, by loving him and his people. Loving him and his people. Number eight, by living faithfully to him. Number nine, by serving one another as unto him. Jesus said, whatever you do in word or in deed, you do as unto the Lord. Whatever we do in the house, in the house of God, outside the house of God, it should be as unto him. That will help us stay in that place of honor. So that means that if you're not, if you're not going to get angry with Jesus and call him illegal names, don't get angry with your brother or sister and call them illegal names. Here's another one. By submitting to authority as unto him. Submitting to authority. Like, you know, I used to tell my wife, I said, the Bible tells you to submit to me, uh, she was like, and it tell you to submit to me too. I said, no, you twisting that, sister. <laughs> but the, 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 the reality is we're to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. So I can come under your mission, you can come under my mission because I'm doing so to please my king. And that's important. Now here, here's, here's another one. By obeying him and yielding to his spirit. Sometimes the obedience does not materialize because the yielding to the Spirit of God is not embraced. So here's an example. We did this, um, it was called a, um, a Love with Intent campaign, and we challenged people in the church to pray and bless random members within the congregation as God revealed them, and we did it for, I think, about eight weeks. 
some of the saints could not participate because they got a selective group that they deal with only. And it further highlighted that their personal culture is not governed by honor. Because you should have been looking for folk that you deemed as enemies, hear me, which really gives credence to I-double-N-E-R space M-E was working in the inner me. Because oftentimes, the way we look at other people is a reflection of what's happening inside of us. And that is an area you can look at to say, you know what, I need to go deeper in my commitment to honor God. And then the last one, by studying and complying with his word. Study the scriptures, comply with them, dialogue about them. It's gonna help you develop a system of honor. Let's stand to our feet. I know I gave you a lot, that was the goal, just to throw it out there. Tomorrow we're gonna move into a dynamic dealing with the calling of a man and really um, challenge some mindsets, I believe, that are counterproductive to our personal progression and personal development.